Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. It's May 29th of the year 2023, and it is the official Memorial Day. And I never know quite when I'm doing a show about Memorial Day how to frame it because you certainly don't want to celebrate. It's a day of national reflection, and it's a day of remembrance, and it's a day where we honor and even mourn the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. That's what makes it different from Veterans Day, where we are honoring not just fallen, but those veterans who have lived on after their service to this country. Today, I'm not only going to talk about Memorial Day, but I'm also going to talk about Arlington National Cemetery because I think it's an untold story for many generations. And I decided that I would devote the second half of this program to the study of the Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Actually, it's in Arlington, Virginia, but we think of it as being in Washington, D.C., Memorial Day, which was originally known as Decoration Day, is a federal holiday in the U.S. for honoring and mourning the U.S. military personnel who have died while serving in the United States military armed forces. It's observed on the last Monday of May. From 1868 to 1970, it was observed on May 30th. Many people visit cemeteries and memorials on Memorial Day to honor and mourn those who have died while serving in the military. Many volunteers place American flags on the graves of military personnel in national cemeteries. Memorial Day is also considered the unofficial beginning of summer in the United States, and for many people, it means family gatherings and barbecues. The first national observance of Memorial Day occurred on May 30th of 1868. Then it was called Decoration Day, and the holiday was proclaimed by Commander-in-Chief John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic to honor the Union soldiers who had died in the Civil War. This national observance was preceded by many local ones between the end of the Civil War and Logan's Declaration. Many cities and people have claimed to be the first to observe it. However, in 2022, the National Cemetery Administration, which is a division of the Department of Veterans Affairs, credited Mary Ann Williams with originating the idea of strewing the graves of Civil War soldiers, Union and Confederate, with flowers. Official recognition as a holiday spread among the states beginning with New York in 1873. By 1890, every Union state had adopted it. The World Wars turned it into a day of remembrance for all members of the U.S. military who fought and died in service. In 1971, 
Congress standardized the holiday as Memorial Day and changed its observance to the last Monday in May. Two other days celebrate those who have served or are serving in the U.S. military. Armed Forces Day, which is earlier in May, an unofficial U.S. holiday for honoring those currently serving in the armed forces, and Veterans Day on November 11th, which honors all those who have served in the United States Armed Forces. A variety of cities and people have claimed origination of Memorial Day. In some such cases, the claims relate to documented events occurring before or after the Civil War. Others may stem from general traditions of decorating soldiers' graves with flowers, rather than specific events leading to the National Proclamation. Soldiers' graves were decorated in the U.S. before and during the American Civil War. Other claims may be less respectable, appearing to some researchers as taking credit without evidence, while erasing better-evidenced events or connections. Of documented commemorations occurring after the end of Civil War and with the same purpose as Logan's proclamation, the earliest occurred in Charleston, South Carolina. On May 1, 1865, formerly enslaved black adults and children held a parade of 10,000 people to honor 257 dead Union soldiers. Those soldiers had been buried in a mass grave at the Washington Racecourse, having died at the Confederate prison camp located there. After the city fell, recently freed persons unearthed and properly buried the soldiers. Then on May 1st, they held a parade and placed flowers. The estimate of 10,000 people comes from the contemporaneous reporting, more recently unearthed by historian David W. Blight, following references in archived material from Union veterans where the events were also described. Blight cites articles in the Charleston Daily Courier and the New York Tribune. No direct link has been established between this event and Logan's 1868 proclamations, although Blight has claimed that African Americans invented Memorial Day in Charleston, South Carolina. In 2012, he stated that he has no evidence that the event in Charleston effectively led to General Logan's call for the national holiday. On June 3, 1861, Warrington, Virginia, was the location of the first Civil War soldier's grave ever to be decorated, according to a Richmond Times-Dispatch newspaper article in 1906. This decoration was for the funeral of the first soldier killed in action during the Civil War, John Quincy Marr, who fought and died on June 1, 1861, during a skirmish at the Battle of Fairfax Courthouse in Virginia. On April 26, 1865, in Jackson, Mississippi, Sue Landon Vaughn supposedly decorated the graves of conservative Confederate and Union soldiers. However, the earliest recorded reference to this event did not appear until many years after. Regardless, mention of the observance is transcribed on the southeast panel of the Confederate monument in Jackson, erected in 1891. The United States National Park Service and numerous scholars attribute the beginning of a Memorial Day practice in the South to a group of women of Columbus, Georgia, the women were the Ladies' Memorial Association of Columbus. 
They were represented by Mary Ann Williams, who, as secretary, wrote a letter to press in March of 1866 asking their assistance in establishing an annual holiday to decorate the graves of soldiers throughout the South. The letter was reprinted in several southern states and the plans were noted in newspapers in the North. The date of April 26th was chosen. The holiday was observed in Atlanta, Augusta, Macon, Columbus, and elsewhere in Georgia, as well as Montgomery, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee, Louisville, Kentucky, New Orleans, Louisiana, Jackson, Mississippi, and across the South. In some cities, mostly in Virginia, other dates in May and June were observed. General John A. Logan commented on the observances in a speech to veterans on July 4th of 1866 in Salem, Illinois. After General Logan's General Order No. 11 to the Grand Army of the Republic to observe May 30, 1868, the earlier version of the holiday began to be referred to as Confederate Memorial Day. A year after the war's end in April 1866, four women of Columbus gathered together at Friendship Cemetery to decorate the graves of the Confederate soldiers. They also felt moved to honor the Union soldiers buried there and to note the grief of their families by decorating their graves as well. The story of their gesture of humanity and reconciliation is held by some writers as the inspiration of the original Memorial Day, despite its occurring last among the claimed inspirations. According to the United States Library of Congress website, Southern women decorated the graves of soldiers even before the Civil War's end. Records show that by 1865, Mississippi, Virginia, and South Carolina all had precedence for Memorial Day. The earliest Southern Memorial Day celebrations were simple, somber occasions for veterans and their families to honor the dead and tend to local cemeteries. In following years, the Ladies' Memorial Association and other groups increasingly focused rituals on preserving Confederate culture and the lost cause of the Confederacy narrative. The 1863 cemetery dedication at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, included a ceremony of commemoration at the graves of dead soldiers. Some have therefore claimed that President Abraham Lincoln was the founder of Memorial Day. However, Chicago journalist Lloyd Lewis tried to make the case that it was Lincoln's funeral that spurred the soldiers' grave decorating that followed. On July 4th of 1864, ladies decorated soldiers' graves, according to local historians, in Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania. Bowlesburg promotes itself as the birthplace of Memorial Day. However, no published reference to this event had been found earlier than the printing of the history of the 148th Pennsylvania Volunteers in 1904. In a footnote to a story about her brother, Mrs. Sophie Keller Hall described how she and Emma Hunter decorated the grave of Emma's father, Reuben Hunter, and then the graves of all soldiers in the cemetery. The original story did not account for Reuben Hunter's death occurring two months later on September 19, 1864. It also did not mention Miss Elizabeth Myers as one of the original participants. However, a bronze statue of all three women gazing upon Reuben Hunter's grave now stands near the entrance to the Bowlesburg Cemetery. Although July 4, 1864 was a Monday, 
The town now claims that the original decoration was on one of the Sundays in October 1864. Stay tuned. When I come back, we'll be talking not just about Memorial Day, but also about the Arlington National Cemetery, an important part of the mourning and the respect that we owe the fallen soldiers. I'll be right back. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Back to our discussion about National Decoration Day, or we call it Memorial Day. On May 5th of 1868, General John A. Logan issued a proclamation calling for Decoration Day to be observed annually and nationwide. He was commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of and for Union Civil War veterans founded in Decatur, Illinois. With his proclamation, Logan adopted the Memorial Day practices that have begun in the southern states three years earlier. The southern states quickly adopted the holiday. In 1868, the northern states quickly adopted the holiday. And memorial events were held in 183 cemeteries in 27 states and 336 in 1869. One author claims that the date was chosen because it was not the anniversary of any particular battle. According to a White House address in 2010, the date was chosen as the optimal date for flowers to be in bloom in the North. In 1871, Michigan made Decoration Day an official state holiday, and by 1890, every northern state had followed suit. There was no standard program for the ceremonies, but they were typically sponsored by the Women's Relief Corps, the Women's Auxiliary of the Grand Army of the Republic, which had 100,000 members. By 1870, the remains of nearly 300,000 Union dead had been reinterred in 73 national cemeteries located near major battlefields and thus mainly in the South. The most famous are Gettysburg National Cemetery in Pennsylvania and Arlington National Cemetery near Washington, D.C., which I'll talk about later. On May 26th of 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson designated an official birthplace of the holiday by signing the presidential proclamation naming Waterloo, New York as the holder of this title. This action followed House Concurrent Resolution 587, in which the 89th Congress had officially recognized that the patriotic tradition of observing Memorial Day had begun 100 years prior in Waterloo, New York. The village credits druggist Henry C. Wells and county clerk John B. Murray as the co-founders of the holiday. The legitimacy of this claim has been called into question by several scholars. In April of 1865, Following Lincoln's assassination, commemorations were widespread. The more than 600,000 soldiers of both sides who fought and died in the Civil War meant that burial and memorialization took on new cultural significance. Under the leadership of women during the war, an increasingly formal practice of decorating graves had taken shape. In 1865, the federal government 
also began creating the United States National Cemetery System for the Union War Dead. By the 1880s, ceremonies were becoming more consistent across geography as the GAR provided handbooks that presented specific procedures, poems, and Bible verses for local post commanders to utilize in planning the local event. Historian Stuart McConnell reports, on the day itself, the post assembled and marched to the local cemetery to decorate the graves of the fallen an enterprise meticulously organized months in advance to assure that none were missed. Finally came a simple and subdued graveyard service, including prayers, short patriotic speeches and music, and at the end, perhaps a rifle salute. In 1868, some Southern public figures began adding the label Confederate to their commemorations and claimed that Northerners had appropriated the holiday. The first official celebration of Confederate Memorial Day as a public holiday occurred in 1874, following a proclamation by the Georgia legislature. By 1916, 10 states celebrated it. On June 3rd, the birthday of CSA President Jefferson Davis. Other states chose later April dates or May 10th commemorating Davis's capture. The Ladies Memorial Association played a key role in using Memorial Day rituals to preserve Confederate culture. Various dates ranging from April 25th to mid-June were adopted in different Southern states. Across the South, associations were founded, many by women, to establish and care for permanent cemeteries for the Confederate dead, organize commemorative ceremonies, and sponsor appropriate monuments as a permanent way of remembering the Confederate dead. The most important of these was the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Changes in the ceremonies, hymns, and speeches reflect an evolution of the ritual into a symbol of cultural renewal and conservatism in the South. By 1913, David Blight argues the theme of American nationalism shared equal time with the Confederate. By the 20th century, various Union memorial traditions celebrated on different days merged and Memorial Day eventually extended to honor all Americans who fought and died while in the U.S. military service. Indiana from the 1860s to the 1920s saw numerous debates on how to expand the celebration. It was a favorite lobbying activity of the Grand Army of the Republic. An 1884 GAR handbook explained that Memorial Day was the day of all days in the GAR calendar in terms of mobilizing public support for pensions. It advised family members to exercise great care in keeping the veterans sober. Memorial Day speeches became an occasion for veterans, politicians, and ministers to commemorate the Civil War and at first to rehash the atrocities of the enemy. They mixed religion and celebratory nationalism for the people to make sense of their history in terms of sacrifice for a better nation. People of all religious beliefs joined, and the point was often made that German and Irish soldiers, ethnic minorities which faced discrimination in the United States, had become true Americans in the baptism of blood on the battlefield. In the National Capitol in 1913, the four-day Blue-Gray Reunion featured parades, reenactments, and speeches from a host of dignitaries, including President Woodrow Wilson, the first Southerner elected to the White House since the war. James Heflin of Alabama gave the main address. Heflin was a global and a gifted orator. His choice as Memorial Day speaker was criticized, 
as he was opposed for his support of segregation. However, his speech was moderate in tone and stressed national unity and goodwill, gaining him praise from newspapers. The name Memorial Day, which was first attested in 1882, gradually became more common than Decoration Day after World War II, but was not declared the official name by federal law until 1967. On June 28, 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which moved four holidays, including Memorial Day, from their traditional dates to a specified Monday in order to create a convenient three-day weekend. The change moved Memorial Day from its traditional May 30th date to the last Monday in May. The law took effect at the federal level in 1971. After some initial confusion and unwillingness to comply, all 50 states adopted Congress's change of date within a few years. By the early 20th century, the GAR complained more and more about the younger generation. In 1913, one Indiana veteran complained that younger people born since the war had a tendency to forget the purpose of Memorial Day and make it a day for games and races and revelry instead of a day of memory and tears. Indeed, in 1911, the scheduling of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway car race, later named the Indianapolis 500, was vehemently opposed by the increasingly elderly GAR. The state legislature in 1923 rejected holding the race on the holiday. But the new American Legion and local officials wanted the big race to continue, so Governor Warren McRae vetoed the bill and the race went on. Memorial Day endures as a holiday which most businesses observe because it marks the unofficial beginning of summer. The veterans of foreign wars and the son of Union veterans of the Civil War advocating returning to the original date. In 2000, Congress passed the National Moment of Remembrance Act, asking people to stop and remember at 3 p.m. in 2000. But on Memorial Day, the flag of the United States is raised briskly to the top of the staff and then solemnly lowered to the half-staff position, where it remains until noon. It is then raised to the full staff for the remainder of the day. The National Memorial Day concert takes place on the West Lawn of the United States Capitol. The concert is broadcast and music is performed and respect is paid to the people who gave their lives for their country. Across the U.S., the central event is attending one of thousands of parades held on Memorial Day in large and small cities. Most of these feature marching bands. That is pretty much a history of Decoration Day, now Memorial Day. But when I come back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about the National Cemetery and in particular, Arlington National Cemetery. So don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. In the second half of this show devoted to Memorial Day, I thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about Arlington National Cemetery. You see, Arlington National Cemetery is one of two cemeteries in the United States National Cemetery System that are maintained by the United States Army. Nearly 400,000 people are buried in its 639 acres in Arlington, Virginia. Arlington National Cemetery was established during the American Civil War after the land the cemetery was built upon, Arlington Estate, was confiscated from the private ownership of Confederate States Army General Robert E. Lee's family following a tax dispute. 
listed in the National Register of Historic Places in April 2014, the Arlington National Cemetery Historic District includes the cemetery, Arlington House, Memorial Drive, the Hemicycle, and Arlington Memorial Bridge. George Washington Park Custis was the grandson of Martha Dandris Custis Washington through her first marriage. When his natural father, John Parke Custis, died, G.W.P. Washi Custis went to live at Mount Vernon, where George and Martha Washington raised him as their own son. In 1802, Custis began building Arlington House on land that he inherited from his natural father. When completed in 1818, he intended the house to serve as not only a home, but also a memorial to George Washington, his foster father. In 1804, Custis married Mary Lee Fitzhugh. They had four children, but only one, Mary Anna Randolph Custis, survived and married future Confederate States Army General Robert E. Lee. Custis's will gave a life inheritance to Mary Lee, allowing her to live at and run Arlington Estate for the rest of her life, but not enabling her to sell any portion of it. Upon her death, the Arlington Estate passed to her eldest son, George Washington Custis Lee. The house was known as the Custis Lee Mansion in the 20th century. When Virginia seceded from the Union after the start of the U.S. Civil War at Fort Sumter, Robert E. Lee resigned his commission on April 20th of 1861 and took command of the Armed Forces of the Commonwealth of Virginia, later becoming the commander of the Army of Northern Virginia. On May 7th, troops of the Virginia militia occupied Arlington and Arlington House. With Confederate forces occupying Arlington's high ground, the capital of the Union was left in an untenable military position. On May 3rd, General Winifield Scott ordered Brigadier General Irvin McDowell to clear Arlington and the city of Alexandria, Virginia, of all troops not loyal to the United States. Despite not wanting to leave Arlington House, Mary Lee believed her estate would soon be recaptured by federal soldiers. On May 14th, she buried many of her family treasures on the grounds and left for her sister's estate at Ravensworth in Fairfax County, Virginia. McDowell occupied Arlington without opposition on May 24th. At the outbreak of the Civil War, most military personnel who died in battle near Washington, D.C. were buried at the United States Soldier Cemetery in Washington, D.C., or Alexandria Cemetery in Alexandria, Virginia. But by the late 1863, both were nearly full. On July 16th of 1862, Congress passed legislation authorizing the U.S. federal government at the outbreak of the Civil War. Most military personnel who died in battle near Washington, D.C. were buried at the United States Soldier Cemetery in Washington, D.C., or Alexandria Cemetery in Alexandria, Virginia. But by late 1863, both were nearly full. On July 16th of 1862, Congress passed legislation authorizing the U.S. federal government to purchase land for national cemeteries for military dead and put the U.S. Army Quartermaster General in charge of this program. In May of 1864, Union forces suffered large numbers of dead in the Battle of the Wilderness. Quartermaster General Montgomery C. Miggs 
ordered that an examination of eligible sites be made for the establishment for a large new national military cemetery. Within weeks, his staff reported that Arlington Estate was the most suitable property in the area. The property was high and free from floods, which might unearth graves. It had a view of the District of Columbia, and it was aesthetically pleasing. It was also the home of the leader of the armed forces of the Confederate States of America, and denying Robert E. Lee use of his home after the war was a valuable political consideration. The first military burial at Arlington for William Henry Christman was made on May 13, 1864, close to what is now the Northeast Gate in Section 27. However, Meigs did not formally authorize establishment of burials until June 15, 1864. Arlington did not desegregate its burial practices until President Harry S. Truman issued Executive Order 9981 on July 26, 1948. The government acquired Arlington at a tax sale in 1864 for $26,800 equal, think about this, to about $464,000 by today. Mrs. Lee had not appeared in person, but rather had sent an agent attempting to pay the $92.07 in property taxes, equal to about $1,500 today, assessed on the estate in a timely manner. The government turned away her agent, refusing to accept the tendered payment. Curtis Lee, heir under his grandfather's will, passing the estate in trust to his mother, sued the United States in 1874, claiming ownership of Arlington. On December 9, 1882, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 5-4 in Lee's favor in United States v. Lee, deciding that Arlington had been confiscated without due process. After that decision, Congress returned the estate to him and on March 3rd of 1883, Custis Lee sold it back to the government for $150,000, equal to about $3 million in today's standards. At a signing ceremony with Secretary of War Robert Todd Lincoln, then the land became a military reservation. President Herbert Hoover conducted the first National Memorial Day ceremony in Arlington National Cemetery on May 30th of 1929. Beginning in 1863, the federal government used the southern portion of the land now occupied by the cemetery as a settlement for freed slaves, giving the name of Freedman's Village to the land. The government constructed rental houses that 1,100 to 3,000 freed slaves eventually occupied while farming 1,100 acres of the estate and receiving schooling and occupational training during the Civil War and after the war's end. The Old Bell Church, founded in 1866, was led by Reverend Robert S. Laws. However, after the Freedmen's Village land became part of a military reservation, the government asked the villagers to leave. When some remained, John A. Comerford, the superintendent of Arlington National Cemetery, asked the Army's quartermaster general in 1887 to close the village on the grounds that people living in the village had been taking trees at night from the cemetery for use as firewood. The quartermaster's request was honored and the Secretary of War approved it. 
the last of the village's residents departed after the 56th United States Congress appropriated $75,000 in 1900, equal to about $2.5 million today, to settle the government's debts to them. With limited space but large numbers of World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, and other veterans dying and wanting to be buried at Arlington, the need for additional burial space at the cemetery became a pressing issue. In 1991, Cemetery Superintendent John C. Metzler, Jr. implemented a $1.4 million plan to clear a former 13-acre parking lot to create space for about 9,000 new graves. The cemetery received the authority to transfer 12 acres of woodland from the NPS-controlled Arlington House in 1996 and 2001. Again, 37 acres of land in 1999 from the DOD, that was the site of the Navy Annex building, 8 acres of land in 1999 from the Department of the Army, that was part of Fort Myer, 4 acres of land from Arlington County Southgate Road right-of-way in 2004, and just under 10 acres of land from Fort Myer in 2005. When we come back, I will finish talking about the logistics, and the geography of Arlington National Cemetery. However, there's a lot more to the story of what goes on there every single day. Stay with me. I'll be right back. In this final Decoration Day slash Memorial Day, I wanted to make sure I talked a little bit more about Arlington National Cemetery. And there's been lots of controversy over the years about it, including times when there were accusations that it wasn't properly cared for, but I want to talk about it. Arlington is a very special place to me. The cemetery is divided into 70 sections, with some sections in the southeast and the western part of the cemetery reserved for future expansion. Section 60 in the southeast part of the cemetery is the burial ground for military personnel killed in the War on Terror since 2001. Section 21, also known as the nurses' section, is the burial site for many nurses and the location of the Spanish-American War Nurses Memorial and the Nurses' Memorial. Another section, Chaplain's Hill, includes monuments to Jewish, Protestant, and Roman Catholic military chaplains. In 1901, Confederate soldiers buried at the soldiers' home and various locations within Arlington were reinterred in a Confederate section that was authorized by Congress in 1900. On June 4th of 1914, the United Daughters of the Confederacy dedicated the Confederate memorial designed by Moses Ezekiel. Upon his death in 1917, Ezekiel was buried at the base of the monument as he was a veteran of the Confederate Army. All Confederate headstones in this section are peaked rather than rounded. The naming commission appointed by Congress has recommended removing the Confederate memorial down to its foundation. More than 3,800 formerly enslaved people called contrabands during the Civil War are buried in Section 27. Their headstones are designated with the word civilian or citizen. The United States Department of Veteran Affairs oversees the National Cemetery Administrative's orders for placement of inscriptions and faith emblems at no charge to the estate of the deceased, submitted with information provided by the next of kin, that is placed on upright marble headstones or columbarium niche covers. 
the Department of Veterans Affairs currently offers 63 authorized faith emblems for placement on markers to represent the deceased's faith. Over time, this number grew as the result of legal challenges to policy. Prior to 2007, the United States Department of Veterans Affairs did not allow the use of the pentacle as an emblem of belief on tombstones in military cemeteries. This policy was changed following an out-of-court settlement on April 23rd, following a series of lawsuits by the family of Patrick Stewart against the VA. Between 1947 and 2001, privately purchased markers were permitted in the cemetery. The sections in which the cemetery permitted such markers are nearly filled, and the cemetery generally does not allow new burials in these sections. Nevertheless, the older sections of the cemetery have a wide variety of private markers placed prior to 2001. There are 32 British Commonwealth war dead burials, 12 from World War I and 20 from World War II, and some headstones are Commonwealth War Graves Commission style. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is part of the Arlington Memorial Amphitheater. The Memorial Amphitheater has hosted state funerals and Memorial Day and Veterans Day ceremonies. Ceremonies are also held for Easter. About 5,000 people attend these holiday ceremonies each year. The structure is mostly built of Imperial Danby marble from Vermont. The Memorial Display Room, between the amphitheater and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, uses Botticino stone imported from Italy. The amphitheater was the result of a campaign by Ivory Kimball to construct a place to honor America's servicemen and women. Congress authorized the structure on March 4th of 1913. Woodrow Wilson laid the cornerstone for the building on October 15th of 1915. The cornerstone contained 15 items, including a Bible and a copy of the Constitution. Before the Arlington Memorial Amphitheater was completed in 1921, important ceremonies were held at what is now known as the Old Amphitheater. This structure sits where Robert E. Lee once had his gardens. The amphitheater was built in 1868 under the direction of Civil War General John A. Logan. General James A. Garfield was the featured speaker at the Decoration Day dedication ceremony, May 30th of 1868, and later was elected as President of the United States in 1881. The amphitheater has an encircling colonnade with a latticed roof that once supported a web of vines. The amphitheater has a marble dais, known as the rostrum, which is inscribed with the U.S. national motto found on the Great Seal of the United States, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. The rostrum was designed by General Montgomery C. Meigs, the quartermaster general of the U.S. Army at the time. The amphitheater seats 1,500 people and has hosted speakers such as William Jennings Bryan. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier stands on top of a hill overlooking Washington, D.C., one of the more well-attended sites at the cemetery, the tomb is made from Yule marble quarried in Colorado. It consists of seven pieces with a total weight of 79 short tons, that's 72 metric tons. The tomb was completed and opened to the public on April 9th of 1932 at a cost of $48,000. Other unknown servicemen were later placed in crypts there and it also became known as the Tomb of the Unknowns, though it has never been officially named. The soldiers entombed there 
are an unknown soldier of World War I, entombed on November 11, 1921, unknown soldier of World War II, interred on May 30, 1958, unknown soldier of the Korean War, also interned May 30, 1958, an unknown soldier of the Vietnam War, interred on May 28, 1984, and the remains of the Vietnam unknown were disinterred under the authority of President Bill Clinton on May 14, 1998, and were identified as those of Air Force First Lieutenant Michael J. Blassie, whose family had them reinterred near his home in St. Louis, Missouri. It has been determined that the crypt at the Tomb of the Unknowns that contained the remains of the Vietnam unknown will remain empty. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier has been perpetually guarded since July 2nd of 1937 by the U.S. Army. The 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, the Old Guard, began guarding the tomb on April 6th of 1948. There is a meticulous routine that the guard follows when watching over the graves. The tomb guard marches 21 steps southward down the black mat behind the tomb, turns left facing east for 21 seconds, turns left facing north for 21 seconds, takes 21 steps down the mat, repeats the routine until the soldier is relieved of duty at the changing of the guard. After each turn, the guard executes a sharp soldier's arm movement to place the weapon on the shoulder closest to the visitors to signify that the guard stands between the tomb and any possible threat. 21 was chosen because it symbolizes the highest military honor that can be bestowed, the 21-gun salute. At each turn, the guard makes precise movements followed by a loud click of the heels as the soldier snaps them together. The guard is changed every half hour during daylight in the summer and every hour during daylight in the winter and every two hours at night when the cemetery is closed to the public, regardless of weather conditions. A commemorative stamp was issued on November 11th of 1922, the first anniversary of the first entombment picturing the amphitheater. It encompasses the original tomb of the unknown soldier. The remains of an unidentified American soldier from World War I were entombed on Armistice Day, November 11th of 1921, later covered in 1931 by a more elaborate marble sarcophagus. There are several memorials on the grounds of the cemetery. However, due to the lack of space for burials and the large amount of space that memorials take up, the U.S. Army now requires a joint or concurrent resolution from the Congress before it will place new memorials at Arlington. Near the Tomb of the Unknowns stands the USS Maine Mass Memorial, which commemorates the 266 men who died aboard the USS Maine. The memorial was built around a mass salvaged from the ship's wreckage. The memorial served as the temporary resting place for two foreign heads of state or government who died in exile in the United States during World War II, Manuel El Cuzan of the Philippines and Ignacy San Paderewski of Poland. The Space Shuttle Challenger Memorial was dedicated on May 20th. So many things to learn and know about our history. I hope that this just awakens a desire in all of you to seek more information. As for me, I'll be back on tomorrow. 
if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself and use this Memorial Day to remember the greatness of this nation. May God bless you and may God bless the United States of America. See you all tomorrow back in Florida. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.